Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4. You can, uh, young people who are up to fourth, fifth grade, if you want to go back to Children's Church, that'll give them a chance to get taught in their own le- on their level. <clears throat> While you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, <clears throat> we talk about this routinely, but I like to remind you that when we study the Bible, it is not for knowledge alone. We study for the purpose of application. Uh, Booker's Law says an ounce of application is worth a pound of intellect. Now, when I stand before you and preach, this is my goal. That uh, my, my aim is not to fill your head with all kinds of data that you have or to teach you the intricacies of the details of the Old Testament history. Nothing wrong with these things. But my objective is to get behind this pulpit and give you something that you can use today. Something that you can pull from tomorrow when you're at work and you're uh, working next to that person with a filthy mind and awful language. You want to be able to deal with life's problems. Now, it is great if you can name all the dispensational time periods in the Bible and all the uh, significant events that mark them, but then you have this problem with your temper. It's a good thing if you can uh, name all the kings of Israel and Judah and their pedigrees and their times of, of their reigns. But then you have a lust problem, and that really bothers you. Simply saying that Bible doctrine is not just for your intellect. It is for victorious Christian living, and we apply it that way. I heard a story about three sons who were all pretty well off, and they wanted to. They were always competing for the affections of their mother. And uh, so they got together one time, and soon after the mother's birthday, and the first son said, you know what I did for mom for her birthday is I had a beautiful home built for her. And the second son uh, said, I've got that. Uh, I, I, I went also out and I got her a, a brand new Lexus. And so I wanted to give her something nice. So now she had a new home and she had this Lexus. And the third son said, you know, I've got both of you beat. You know how much mom likes to read the Bible? She always likes to uh, get into the Word of God. And he said, what I've done is I bought a parrot that... Fifteen theologians worked with this parrot for ten years, and they have taught this parrot to recite the whole Bible. Imagine that. So all she has to do is to say a verse or an address, and the parrot can recite that verse for her. Well, soon the mother wrote back to each one of her sons. She wrote back to her first son and said, you know, thank you for the house, but the thing is huge. It's more than I need, and I have to put all this extra work into cleaning it and hire people to take care of it, and it's just too much. She wrote back to her second son, said her, the Lexus was, hey, it's a nice car, but I mean, I don't go anywhere. I don't do anything, so it's kind of a little bit of a waste, but oh, that third son, she said, you you know what your mother likes. He's, she said, I want to thank you so much for your gift. That chicken was delicious. Amen. Now, would you agree what we do with the Word of God is important? Amen? It's not just for our knowledge. How are we going to apply it in our life? Sometimes knowledge isn't enough, just simple knowledge. We have to have the wisdom to apply it in our life for it to come up and do any good for us. Knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad, you know. Uh, I mean, it's good to know things, but we have to have wisdom to apply these things. So today I want to preach on a doctrine in the Bible And this will be a tremendous help if you grasp this because it is probably the most important doctrine in how we live our everyday lives. Now, these are some big claims I'm making here, but this doctrine that I want to talk about today, if you grab a hold of this and apply it to your life, it will impact every single area 
of your Christian life. So, while I make that claim, let's uh, prove it to you in the next few minutes here. Uh, let's start reading at 2 Timothy chapter 4, <clears throat> verse number 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, it's going to start out with one verse. We're reading a lot of scripture today, but we'll just start out with this one verse to begin with. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearance. Today, as we talk about growing this year in this uh, Sunday morning series, we talk about growth. I want to talk today about growing through anticipation. Father, I pray you'd help us in the next few minutes here together. May we hear something that we can apply in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking today about the return of Christ, the rapture. One day we'll be caught up together in the air to be together with our Lord. Now, as you say, preacher, do you really believe that well, the Bible tells us in, actually Jesus said in John 14, 2, <clears throat> in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And then he says, and if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now, let me ask you, class, did he go? Yes, he did. I believe he's coming again, just as he said. So far, in the history of mankind, everything God has ever said that will happen has happened, and everything that Jesus said he would do, he has done up to this point, and so we can trust him to keep his word. He has never lied. <coughs> so I do believe 100% he's coming back, and today we ask you, are you ready for that return? Now, in the Bible, there are five crowns listed that we can receive for our service and our life on earth. One of these crowns is if we look forward to his return. We just read it in our text. A crown of righteousness, which the Lord shall give, and then it finishes to all them that love his appearance, or his appearing. Now this seems interesting to me. There's a crown in the Bible for those who deny themselves, especially the ultimate self-denial of martyrdom. In 1 Corinthians 9.25, and every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, we and incorruptible. Bohemian reformer John Huss was a man who believed the Bible was the ultimate authority in all matters. He died at the stake for that belief uh, in Constance, Germany on his 42nd birthday. Huss's last words were, what I taught with my lips, I seal with my blood. There was also Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna. Polycarp was a godly man who had known the apostle John personally. When urged by Roman proconsul to renounce Christ, Polycarp said, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? The official said, Sir, I have respect for your age. Simply say, Away with the Christians, and we will set you free, and all will be fine. Polycarp pointed his aged hand toward the pagans around him, and he said, Away with the atheists, and he was burned at the stake and gave joyful testimony of his faith in Jesus Christ. There's going to be a crown for men like that, the Bible says. Slightly less difficult than that is the crown for a pastor. I say slightly less difficult than that. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he tells the pastor to feed the flock of God, not for filthy lucre. In other words, shouldn't be done for money or to try to build that up uh, for, for uh, financial gain, to not being lords over the people. And then in verse 4 it says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now being a pastor, in my opinion, is the greatest calling in the world. But it's just not easy. 
it is a difficult job. Uh, you have to be on call at all times. Middle of the night is not the easiest thing to do. You have to be ready. Uh, this has happened in my life, and, and I'm sure any other pastor that's here listening has happened as well. You have to be ready to cancel a family night or even sometimes a vacation because something happens to someone in the church that you have to be there for. You have to work diligently alongside parents as they raise their children and to live right for the Lord. You have to walk that delicate line that you can't say, you can only say so much to certain families who at the same time uh, feel open rein to say anything about yours. It's just, and I'm not complaining, it's just the way it is. It's not an easy calling, it's a wonderful calling. Uh, and, and so those are the, and, and many others we could name. I'm not going to go into it because it sounds like I would be bemoaning, and I'm not complaining at all. I love what I do. But pastoring, uh, there's a crown for faithful pastors. There's also a crown for enduring temptation. James 1.12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life and the Lord which is promised to them that love him. This is a tough one too. The word endure there means that someone who bravely is faithful even during suffering to bear up courageously is what the word means. Someone who does not quit on God when their very life is on the line, they're going to get a crown. Then in the middle of all this, there's a crown for just looking forward to the return of Christ. I see that and I think that sounds kind of like a gimme. I mean, here's a guy that's a crown for being burned alive at the stake. Here's a crown for looking forward to the return of Christ. Doesn't that seem a little unbalanced? But as you think about it, I believe one of the reasons there is, is a crown for that is that this is something so very few of us do, looking forward to the return of Christ. Now, the only time that I hear this from commonly as a pastor uh, that I hear people talk about wanting to go to heaven or wanting Jesus to come back is, is the very elderly or those that are suffering. By the way, this is a blessed side effect of being elderly and those aches and pains that we have to learn to live with. It makes us look forward to heaven, doesn't it? That's really the way God designed it. <clears throat> but I was a youth pastor for 16 years, and not one time in all those years did I come up to a 16-something or a teenager and ask him, Hey, how you doing? Boy, I tell you, preacher, I'm just looking forward to Jesus coming back. It's, it's not on the mind, uh, forefront of young people's minds. In fact, I was trying to think the other day, because I don't want to speak falsely, but I don't think I've ever heard a 20-something uh, offer that up, or even maybe a 30-something offer that up, because it's we, 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 that's not at the forefront of most of our minds. I have had this numerous times, one time even from one of my daughters that, uh, you know, when we talked about this in youth group, and we talked about looking forward to the rapture and those things, and she said, look, I, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want Jesus to come back because before I'm married. I want to get married. I want to have children. I want to have a life and experience those things. And so, in other words, I want to go to heaven. I just don't want to go today, is the attitude there. Why is it so hard to look forward to Christ's return? Well, since it's just us here, let's be honest, okay? We can just be honest with one another today, all right? We have young couple back here, Feltz just got married, all right? I, I just got, you know, and now putting that up to uh, looking forward to the return of Christ, we just got married. We'd like to uh, experience some of our life together. I mean, we still get along, amen? So we want to uh, enjoy some of that time together. You have somebody else over here, I just retired, all right? I just uh, worked all those years and now I retired. I'd like to spend a little time and, and enjoy that time together, incidentally, also just got married and presumably getting along with one another as well. And over here we have another couple. I have a young child. I'd like to see that child graduate. I'd like to see her get married one day. 
you know, and we have those things in our life that's, uh, that, that we look forward to. I just met my grandson last week, week and a half ago. I'd like to wait till he's old enough to where I could tell him what his parents are really like, amen? I mean, we all have things that we look forward to. But here's the deal. Here's why it's hard to look forward to the return of Christ, if we're going to be honest. We got stuff going on. My, I got stuff going on. I got things in my life that I want to see happen. Now, before we go further down that trail, let me make two observations I want to share with you because <clears throat> I don't want to get you to get this wrong. It is not wrong to enjoy your life. All right? That's a good thing. <clears throat> it's not wrong for you to want to see your child graduate. Summa cum laude. That's a good thing. I was homeschooled. I graduated, thank the Lord. Uh, that's a little different. But it's not wrong for you want to walk your daughter down the aisle. It's not wrong for you to be that daughter who wants to walk down, uh, be walked down the aisle one day. It's not wrong for that. We all have hopes and dreams. We all have things we want to experience. But I do want to make the second one crystal clear. Second observation. Heaven is better. Heaven is better. All right, I, I look, I don't know all that it entails. I don't know, I can't explain every... The Bible is a little bit, doesn't, doesn't really offer that much on exactly what heaven is. But I do know one thing, it's better. It's better than anything we have down here. It took God six days to make this wonderful world. And he's been working on a pl uh, place for us for 2,000 years. It's better, friend. It's a story of an elderly couple died and went to heaven. And uh, they died at the same time. And they're up in heaven and they're walking around. And they're just amazed at the splendor and the glory and the awe of everything they see. And they're trying to they're just walking and drinking this in. I can't imagine how that is. I've, I've stood beside people, uh, uh, faithful Christians who breathe their last breath. And they, as they go to heaven, and I always try to picture, here they are in a bed and their, their body maybe was racked with pain and disease, and all of a sudden, they're in heaven. And I always try to imagine those, those first moments of just overwhelming amazement as they're walking through heaven. And this couple was doing so, and after they were there for a little while, he looks over at her and he says, you know what, we could have been here enjoying this ten years ago if it weren't for your dumb brand muffins, Amen. Uh, I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but I can tell you this, friend, it's going to be better than anything that we have here today. But let's get back to the purpose of this message. I told you here, this looking forward to the return of Christ is going to help you in every way, every day of your life. I want to show you how I've got eight ways that it'll impact you. By the way, this is a discipline. This like anything else in the Christian life, it's a discipline for us to look forward to the return of Christ. It's not a natural thing for us. It's something we really have to think about and work on, and we need to do that. Now, today is going to be a little bit like Bible drills. So have your fingers nimble if you want to turn with us. I've turned to different scriptures for every one of these eight points. So let's work through them quickly. The first we're going to go to is James chapter 5. <coughs> James chapter 5. The first thing that we learn, <coughs> the first thing that looking forward to the return of Christ the first thing it'll do for us in our life is it'll give us patience. Patience. Look at James chapter 5, verse number 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts. Why? For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Did you know what it'll do for you? If you keep the return of Christ on the forefront of your mind. If you think about it and you keep you dwell on it and you focus on that in your life, the ups and downs of your existence, 
the rain and drought times of your life, they just won't quite matter so much because one day soon Jesus is coming back. And if you look forward to that and you think on that and you dwell on that, it'll give you patience. Now here's the, here, understand what patience is. Listen carefully to this, this uh, definition. The capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. Tony Evans gives an illustration of a man who has not seen the Super Bowl, uh, the Super Bowl game in which his team wins. But before he has a chance to go home and watch it, what he's TiVo'd, you know what happens. Somebody comes along and congratulates him for his team winning. Don't you hate when that happens? Now he knows who's going to win, but he hasn't seen the game yet. So he goes home and he puts uh, the game on, and his wife, who also cares very much about this game, uh, has not found out who the winners of the game are. And there is a marked difference, as you can imagine, in how they watch this game. She's watching this game, and oh my goodness, she starts to get all stressed out because uh, our team is down. They've, they've got touchdown. We don't have one yet. Our team's down. He's sitting there with a cup of coffee kicked back. It's all right. No big thing. I know how this thing turns out. And as they keep watching the game, soon she again says, oh, that's no fair because they made us a bad call on us. And now uh, all this, you know how you watch these games, you get all fired up because of bad calls that they make, the officials, and her blood pressure's up and his isn't. He's sitting back, no big deal. I know how this thing ends. And as they watch uh, further, <clears throat> they see, oh, no, the quarterback is injured. Now they're going to have to put in the second string. He's not near as good. No matter, no matter, no matter. I know how this thing ends. I mean, do you get the picture here, friends? In this world, sometimes we get a bad call. Amen? In this world, sometimes we are overwhelmed with wickedness, but praise God, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And one day, uh, this will end. One day, Jesus Christ will come back and make it all right. And this realization will give us patience to deal with the up and downs of life. Patience is a virtue that carries a lot of weight, W-A-I-T, the kind of weight I don't like. Uh, Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. That's David's prescription, to, is to wait on the Lord. How many of you along with me like waiting? I don't either, amen. We're all on the same page then. Now, have you ever noticed that there's different types of emotions in waiting? How about the DMV? Well, that's a barrel of laughs, isn't it, when you get to wait at the DMV? Uh, how about the dentist? As you hear the drill going in the next room and you know that you're the next victim, contrast that with when you have to wait at your table after you've ordered at Texas Roadhouse and you've got a steak coming. I don't know, maybe you're different, but man, I'm, I'm waiting happily then. I mean, I'm not going to faint now. i got a steak coming. I'm not quitting now. I'm not going to leave now. i got something good coming here. And you watch, I always try to position myself so I'm watching the door in the kitchen uh, for my waitress. And, uh, and I'm just watching for her to come. And then, and you know the eagerness, you see somebody, ah, it's not her. And you're just waiting. I, I'm, I don't like waiting, as I've mentioned. And so, uh, sitting there waiting and waiting. And then here she comes, carrying the plates. And it's for the table next to me. We've all been there, too, where it's a, the letdown. How about, sir, when you waited on your bride, standing at the front of the church and... and uh, the other wedding party starts coming in and you're waiting for your bride. Nope, it's not her. She, as a, as a uh, bridesmaid comes in and another bridesmaid comes, it's not her, thank God, or whatever you're thinking as, uh, as you're waiting on your bride. I, that was mean, I'm sorry. 
Sometimes there's a little bit of a mean streak. I just got to get rid of it. All right. All I'm saying, friends, is how we wait on something has much to do with what we're waiting for. We're waiting on Jesus Christ's return. We ought to be waiting with eagerness, excitement. It brings patience because of all that, uh, because we know that one day all of this will be made, uh, will be put right. And he is coming back. That gives us patience. We've got to move along. First Thessalonians chapter 4 is our next uh, destination. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Not only <coughs> does the looking forward to the return of Christ bring us patience, it will also bring us peace. Peace. Verse number 13. First Thessalonians 4, the Bible says, But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we keep which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of an archangel with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now listen to these words. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It's a comfort. It brings peace. Oh, we watch the news and we get so angry. Dr. Fauci's at it again. They're adding more uh, restrictions and, and, uh, and, and the gas prices are getting out of hand. And I'm just so mad. Hey, listen, friend. Jesus is coming again soon. That ought to give you some peace thinking about that. The question was once asked, if you could choose what you want most in life, what would it be? The most common answer given was peace. We all want peace, don't we? Uh, we, want, we want peace in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our families. We want peace in our country. We want peace in our world. We, uh, this country has some of the, most be uh, the, the best treatment centers, the best educational institutions, and the most prosperity. Yet with all those things, people are still without peace. The results are devastating. Broken families, broken homes, uh, financial anxiety, a country unsettled. Now the world offers relief from this or peace from this through escapism. Drugs, alcohol, constant entertainment. Of course, those that's a very, very temporary retrieve or very temporary peace. Many believe that peace is defined by the absence of trouble. Uh, but the world, as you know, and as I know, who've lived any amount of time, know the world cannot offer you true peace. One of the keys to our peace is the fact that Jesus is coming again soon, and he's going to put things right. Amen? And that's a blessing. A week and a half ago, I'm at the Atlanta airport waiting for my connection flight to come into Sioux Falls, and I'm next to a flight that's going to Canada. And I hear this announcement coming over and over as I'm sitting there waiting as they're preparing to board soon, and this is the announcement, brought a little sickness to my soul. All passengers need to get in line. You must have your passports and your papers out and ready. If your passport does not have a red check mark, you will not be allowed to board the flight. The red check mark obviously was vaccination. It reminds me of a time not so long ago that we read about in history. But can I tell you, friend, when Jesus comes back, you don't have to wonder if you're going to be on that flight. If you're a child of God, friend, then you will be pulled up into the air with him when he returns. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to have a red check mark. You don't have to have your papers out and ready. Hey, when he comes back, if you're his, you're going. Amen? That's a decision that you make today. What a blessing. One day he's coming back to take us out of this festering, wicked world. And listen, friend, there is comfort in that thought. What a blessing. 
Now I'll turn, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Just back a page, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse number 19, we see another result of looking forward to the return of Christ, and this is joy. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing, verse 19? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Now, would you agree along with me that there's sadness today in this old world? There's a lot of it. Turn on the news, it's like depression hour at five. All the negativity, all the tragedy, it's hard to have joy. But I have good news here today, friend. Jesus is coming back soon. We're going to be with him. All the unfairness of our circumstances, all the people that have stepped on us through our life every time we've been used wrongly or have a crime committed against us, just like that, it'll be made right. And, it'll, and fairness will come again when he is in control. That loved one that you still have an ache in your heart for, the one that you, uh, that you miss so much, you'll see them again. Uh, this is not, if I should say, this is not a recipe for joy, I don't know what is. All the misery, all the pain in your heart, everything that we're going through in the world today, hey, this is all just temporary. One day, uh, he's coming back for us. The question not is not really how are you doing in this world today, but are you prepared for his return? That's really the most important question. Are you prepared? We need to get right for the flight. Amen. For what is our joy, the Bible says, one day... Jesus Christ is coming. I read about a teacher who was trying to teach her students the difference between happiness and joy. Now, there's a big difference there between happiness and joy. And she suggested that they use different colors. They choose a color for happiness, and they choose a color for joy. And then they tell some of the things that they thought would bring about those feelings. And so uh, kids went to work. They got all excited. They used a whole gamut of colors and to express themselves. But one little boy turned in a paper to her, and he said he knew that joy was black. Teachers like, this kid's got problems, evidently. Something's going on in his home. He's abused. He's had all kinds of thoughts that he said that joy is black. So she, obviously with their concern, she pulled him aside and she asked him to tell him about his paper and this is what he said. Well, Mrs. Lane, you told us that happiness was something that you felt when you went to a birthday party or when you went on vacation or you got a new pair of shoes, but that it didn't last. Then you said that joy was deep down inside of you and that nobody could ever take it away from you. I figured if it was deep inside of you where it was dark, it must be black. That's a pretty smart kid, amen? That's where joy is. Joy doesn't come from your circumstances. Oh, God help you if you think it does. Because circumstances are like a roller coaster all over the place. Joy comes from what's inside of you. And joy comes here. It cannot be manufactured from things of the world, but one of the caveats of joy <coughs> is the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again soon. It allows us to rejoice despite being in the midst of a corrupt government. It, 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 it soothes the pain of bad circumstances. Joy. All right, number four. Turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John comes just before 2 John. Help you find that there. 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to find number 4 is holiness. Holiness. <coughs> number, verse number 1 of 1 John 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. For every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Let me ask you, friend, what will cause you to purify yourself? What will energize you to live a life of holiness? 
I'll tell you one thing that will do it is knowing that Jesus Christ is returning soon. That really helps us live a life of holiness. Thinking thoughts like, I can't live like this. Jesus is coming back soon. I can't have him come back and find me an alcoholic. I'm, I've accepted his son as my savior. I'm a child of God and I'm living this way. I've got to change my ways. Jesus is coming back. I can't live like this and have him come back and find me. The Bible talks about being ashamed at his coming. I don't want to be that. I have to be faithful to church. By the way, for years, I've prayed that when Jesus comes back, would you just come back? Uh, sometime between the hours of 6 and 7 on Sunday night or 7 and 8 on Wednesday night. Amen? I, wanna, I want him to see who's here and not here. That's just a personal prayer of mine. Um, isn't it obvious, though, how looking forward to the return of Christ might make us want to live a holy life? Oh, sure. Li- living a holy life, by the way, you make an impact that way. D.L. Moody said a holy life will make, one, will make the deepest impressions. A lighthouses blow no horns. They just shine. You'll make an impact with a holy life, and you'll live a holy life if you look forward to the return of Jesus Christ. Now I'll turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. The fifth thing, the fifth result of looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ is confidence. Let's read it here in verse number 28 of 1 John chapter 2. <clears throat> and now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Confidence is the feeling or belief that one can rely on something or someone. Confidence is that feeling by which we embark on some great and honorable endeavor with a sure hope and trust in Christ. They mean, in other words, in common language that we might do great things for God because we have confidence that he'll give us the ability to do so. When God says ride, he always provides the horse. And so we serve him in confidence. We can serve with confidence if we're living to please one. The secret is in who we put our confidence in. Abraham Lincoln was assassinated on the night of April 14, 1865. It's interesting to note what was in his pockets that fateful night. There were five things in Abraham Lincoln's pockets when he died. Here's what they were. There was a handkerchief which was embroidered A. Lincoln. There was a simple pen knife. There was a spectacles case that was repaired with string. There was a purse containing a $5 bill in Confederate money. I don't know what that was all about, but that's what he had in there. The last thing that he had was some old, worn newspaper clipping. These clippings concerned the great deeds of Abraham Lincoln. Now, I think we can all agree he was not a proud man. But one, uh, these clippings were, I think, people that extolled his greatness. One was from a speech by John Bright that said Lincoln was one of the greatest men of all times. Today, that's common knowledge. But in 1865, millions of people did not share that sentiment. You think Trump was hated, Lincoln was hated even more by his nation. And uh, the president's critics were fierce. They were many. His burden was the turmoil of his country ripped to shreds by hatred and a cruel war. And it is an incredibly sad picture that I have a mental image of this great man seeking solace from a few newspaper clippings. As he stands and reads them under the flickering flame of a candle all alone in the Oval Office, trying to get a little encouragement. Now we all need a boost to our confidence, don't we? The Bible says in Psalm 118 verse 8, it is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in man. All of us, we all need confidence. Put your confidence in the right person, and it'll help you. 
John says that if we look forward to the return of Christ, hey, there's a, that discipline again. If you <clears throat> focus on, think about, uh, train yourself to look forward to the return of Christ, one of the things, one of the byproducts will be confident. Confidence. What a blessing. All right, we go on to the next one. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. The sixth result of looking forward to the return of Christ is diligence in service. Look at verse number 5 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, uh, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his. Paul said, I have fought the fight, I have kept the faith, I have finished my course. By the way, friends, this is not uh, casual Christianity Paul's talking about here. This isn't Sunday morning Christianity. Man, he fought the fight. He went through some tremendous battles for the cause of Christ. We need to have the type of diligence in our work that he had in his. Diligence is careful and persistent work or effort. There is no greater motivation for diligence in our life than knowing Jesus is coming back again soon. We need to, knowing he's coming back, hey, we only have a short time to get the work that we need to get done. Do you have a family member today that's not saved? Do you have somebody that you know that if Jesus came back right now, they wouldn't be called up with him? Can I tell you, friend, you need to have diligence in trying to win them, diligence in trying to do your uh, work uh, of your ministry, because we don't know how long we have. He's coming back again soon. That gives us diligence. Great growth is accomplished not by strength, but by diligence and persistence. And we need to have diligence in our Christian life. Now, if you'll turn to Titus chapter two. Titus chapter 2, we come to number 7. And uh, the number 7 result of looking forward to the return of Christ <coughs> is righteous living. Titus chapter 2, let's start at verse number 11. <coughs> For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. How much, how much you look forward to the return of Christ is directly correlated in the life you're living. Say that again. How much you look forward to the return of Christ is correlated with kind of life you're living. I'll give you an illustration. When I was a child, I was the oldest of five, and I, so it fell on me to babysit when my parents uh, went somewhere when I was old enough. And so we, we lived way out in the country, and we had this bay window that faced the, the driveway. It's more than a driveway. We called it a lane. It was about a quarter of a mile to a half a mile long lane. And at the end of the lane was a hill, so when, when our parents would get home, we would see the car coming, and it would go down a hill, we'd see those headlights, and then the long, slow drive in through the driveway. When we did a surprise cleaning of the house, or we prepared gifts for them, that car took forever to get to the house. We'd watch, oh, they're coming, they're coming down the hill, and then we'd sit there and wait while they slowly, we had a kind of a rocky, rough driveway, and so it would slowly pull in. And it just took forever because we're so eager for them to get home. Dancing around, couldn't wait for them to pull into the garage. Fighting about who's going to be able to tell them the good news. You've probably been there. One time, it was different. We were at home and my brother began to antagonize me. And 
by his actions, just understand, if you're an older brother, you know the legitimacy of my statement. By his actions, he was begging me to punch him in the face. And I complied, you know. Uh, it was not my fault. He was asking for it. I tried to explain that to my parents later. They didn't buy it, but he was begging me for it. And I'll, uh, we got to fighting around and, and pushing and shoving and doing what we did and having the time of our life, really, when you're boys. And we broke that bay window. And, uh, you know, that stops the fight quick. We're sitting there. And now we didn't know what to do. Uh, we're just waiting, doom descending upon us as my parents turn into the driveway. It's a whole different feeling now. You understand, you've been there. Now, you hope they get a flat. <laughs> you hope the rapture happens. You hope something happens before they get into the house. And you've met my parents. You think my dad is so weak because of his condition, and my mom is as sweet as sugar all the time. Not that night. Not that night. Say, what happened? Well, psychiatrists talk about how the mind just blocks out certain traumatic episodes, and I don't remember what happened that night. But I'm simply saying this, friend. How you live will affect how you anticipate the return of Christ. And how you anticipate the return of Christ will affect how you live. It's, it's going to make a difference in your life if you're looking forward to the return of Christ. It'll help you live righteously. Get right for the flight. Let your anticipation of his soon return fuel, fuel your zealous good works, the Bible talks about in this verse. Now our final point, if you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. <coughs> 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter Chapter 1 and verse number 5. <coughs> Who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye are great, you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Of course we are for a season. Verse 7. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing Jesus Christ. If you look forward to the appearing of Christ, it's going to give you faith even in difficulty. It's going to help you weather the storm. You're going through difficult circumstances, and the Bible uses the words here, manifold temptations, tribulations, trouble. And are you going to have trials? Absolutely, you'll have trials. Will you have conflict? Yes, you will have conflict. But as you look forward to the return of Christ, it's going to help you through those trials. It'll give you a perspective in how to deal with them. Oh, the road you're traveling on might look dark right now, but Jesus is coming soon. Your marriage may be facing all kinds of trouble, but Jesus is coming soon. You may be in a financial crisis, but Jesus is coming soon. I'm not saying to make light of your problems or to, or to take that lightly, but I, and I'm not saying this is going to fix your problems. I am talking about some spiritual perspective, realizing that one day soon, Jesus Christ is coming back wherein you greatly rejoice. He says, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. We know that suffering caused by present circumstances, we all experience that. We all experience that. But we can soar beyond them. Knowledge that in heaven, there is a God who still is on the throne. It helps us put things in perspective. Then to add to that, Paul says, uh, mentions the appearing of Jesus Christ. What a day that will be when he returns. Let me ask you a question, friend. <clears throat> When's the last time that you've said in your prayer life or praying to God or your thoughts along with the Apostle John, even so, Lord, come quickly. It's hard because, back to what we said earlier, we got stuff going on. We got stuff going on. We want to experience things. We got plans. 
we got dreams, but we need to discipline ourselves to look forward to the return of Christ. It'll affect so many areas in our life. I just named eight. We could come up with more, I'm sure. Areas in which it'll affect our life. There's a reward, a great reward for looking forward to the return of Christ. Not only a crown when we get to heaven, but a reward as we've seen eight ways in which our life will improve if we look forward to the return of Christ. When's the last time you consider? That's something each and every one of us need to change in our life. Growing to anticipate, anticipating the return of Christ. It'll lead to growth in your life. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. <clears throat> I want you to listen carefully to my first question here. I don't want anybody looking around. Nobody's going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to come get you. I just want to pray for you. If you're here today, friend, and you say, preacher, as you're preaching, I don't know if he, if when he returns, I'd go. I mean, I hope I would. I hope I'd be one of the ones that when he sounds the trump, that I'd be brought together in the air the way the Bible says, but I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. If that's you, friend, would you just slip up your hand and let me pray for you? I don't know for sure, 100%, that I'd go comes back if he came back right now. Let me pray for you. Thank you so much. What about you, dear Christian? What about you? Have you been, uh, has your life been overwhelmed with circumstances, taking your mind off of what Jesus Christ is going to do soon? I think we don't need to look around much more than just to see what's going on right now to know that we are in the last days and Christ is coming again soon. Let's collectively decide today to discipline ourselves to look forward to that day. While she begins to play, would you stand along with me?